Hey guys, this is Saba Long, the host of Where the Party At, your favorite political podcast. I'm so excited to bring back our series, Who Runs Atlanta, where we are featuring this time the at-large candidates for the Atlanta School Board. There are five candidates and we've got all five doing interviews with us. Take a listen to these interviews and make sure you make an informed choice to vote on or before November 7th. Tamara Jones, welcome to the podcast, Where the Party At. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So we're interviewing the school board candidates who are running at large. You are the incumbent for seat seven. I'm going to talk to you about why you're running for re-election, what's your vision for the school board, what would you like to see changed, all the stuff that voters need to know before they cast their ballot. But before we do that, we've got to do something a little bit different. Okay. This is our segment that we're calling How Atlanta Are You? Kids Edition. So let's start with if you were taking, you've got a little bit older kids, but if you were taking a younger kid, you know, think, I don't know, third grade, first grade, something like that. Like, what's the spot in Atlanta that's perfect for a young kid? The zoo. The zoo. And is there a zoo animal that's your favorite or one that you're like, nope, I'm not going to rock with that animal? Uh, I'm not a big fan of the reptiles. Um, they're just, <laughs> they're so scaly. Okay. The reptiles is a theme. We've heard this one before. Yeah. No. I get it. That's a great place to go with kids because you can kill like a lot of time and they just have You just wear them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure you read a lot to your kids when they were younger. Maybe you don't get a chance to read to them now, but are there some kids books that you really love, a series or anything like that? My kids really love the Harry Potter series. Even before they could read them themselves, those were a really good series of books. Um, just a lot of fantasy, like their heads would, you know, yeah. their minds would start turning. Have um, you taken them to, univ is it Universal? Oh, yes. There's a Harry Potter? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's a new ride now. Oh, um, okay. At Universal, which is, um, it's really good. I don't know anything Harry Potter related. I've never seen it, never read it. <laughs> I just, I don't know, I just skipped right over Harry Potter. <laughs> I don't and know then, what that says about me, but and then the other one is um my son really liked um Captain Underpants. Okay. What well, Keith knows Captain Underpants. Mm -hmm. I don't know that one. Um okay, and then let's see. What is a kids or a, a TV show or a movie that's set in the school that you really love? Or like or you feel like that is exactly what it's like? I'm trying to think of the one, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's the, um, the, the kind of art school with the kids who are, um, oh, I don't it'll, know. it'll come to me. Um, is it old, new? I mean, my oldest is 21 now, so it was probably got a good 10 years ago. Okay. Um, I don't um, know. No, 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 oh. no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Glee would have made sense, yeah. You know, but that was when they are all, you know, performing arts. They were like all different, you know, sort of ah, misfit nerd sort okay. of 
stray yeah. kids. Um, I don't know. We'll ask chat GPT. Yeah. It'll, I can't remember. It's been a minute because my oldest is 16 now. So. Yeah. And if there's anything you would change in Atlanta about like how to make Atlanta kid friendly, what would that be? How to make Atlanta kid friendly. I think we're on, on a path to doing that and doing a lot more bike lanes and walking trails. Um, just being able to have kids get around better. Um, you know, when I was growing up, there was a lot of free ranging, mm-hmm. you know, and people, you would just get turned out, you know, right. and, you know, your mom would holler, holler for you to come back in when it started to get dark. Um, but we're, we're starting to see more of that and more um, spread out over all parts of the city. I'm really a fan of the Beltline um, and being able to, you know, get kids out there walking around, seeing people. Um, that's a really good part. Is that another thing to keep kids friendly? I'm trying to, we should, we need more swimming pools. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think we need more pools that are more accessible to all kids. And you, on the, it was interesting on the swimming pool thing. I didn't realize that they close, they change the hours pretty significantly once school is back in session. Yes. So that is actually something. Um, so this past year, I serve on the Joint Committee for Education, which is a city of Atlanta um, started thing where it's got council members, three council members, three city, um, three school board members, and then a county commissioner from each county. So one of the first things we did was renegotiate a memorandum of understanding between um, the city parks and rec and the school district so that our um, swim teams, our high school swim teams could use their pools for mm. the high school swim season, which it's a winter sport, believe it or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> swimming. And in exchange, we recruited teenagers to get free lifeguard training because you can be a lifeguard at 15. Mm-hmm. And so we did that and our students got to be lifeguards for the summer for the city at fifteen fifty an hour. Wow. Um, and the city got to keep its pools open. But when school started back again, there's no more lifeguards. There's no more teenagers. So they had to change their hours to just the weekends. And I know when they made the announcement, the city made the announcement about that and people got upset. I, I told uh, Mayor Dickens, I was like, you missed an opportunity there to, 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 you know, tout something really big that we right. did, you know, cause it was a great thing. You know, it was a win-win for both parties. Mm. That's a great example. There's always more to the story, but it doesn't always come out. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, now we're moving into the easy breezy part. All the fun policy questions and why you're running, who you are, all that. So just start with how long have you been on the school board? Why did you run for the school board? Just let's start there. I have been on this school board not quite two years. So I was elected two years ago um, citywide. So that was 2021 when Mm -hmm. the mayor and the city council were all elected. That's Mm -hmm. right. So I was elected then. um, And just the work that we've managed to get started during that time, as you imagine, things the wheels turn a little slow, but really gotten some traction on some of the things that I had tried to focus on, you know, and and I campaigned on the last time and really want a full term to continue to see that through because we can see the momentum. And one of them is uh, policy. I'm on the policy committee. So policy is near and dear to my heart. And I knew coming in that for at least 20 years, we've had the same sort of stagnant literacy proficiency. So it's not something that just happened over COVID or that's recent. It's been a really long time. And I felt like we had just gotten 
um, used to the fact that um, two-thirds of our kids are not going to read proficiently by the time that they're in eighth grade. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. Mm-hmm. So two-thirds of our third through eighth graders are not reading proficiently, meaning they haven't scored proficient on the milestones. So um, how are they going from grade to grade if they don't have the fundamentals of reading? That's a very good question. Um, there are many reasons for that. Um, you have some of the reasons being when you hold kids back, and this is proven, when you hold them back multiple times, they're far more likely to drop out of school. So there's that factor. And also, you know, do you want kids driving to middle school, you know, in driving to sixth grade? You know, um, you, it's hard to have, you know, such a wild mix of ages in one grade range. I understand all of the reasons, you know, for not wanting to pass Mm -hmm. children along. What we have to do, though, is teach them to read. What are those kids doing in the summer? So if you know, like, let's just say a fifth grader is struggling, is the school requiring or urging the parents to put them in a summer program? They are urged to put them in a summer program, but state law will not let us require um, them to attend summer school. So, Would they have to pay for summer school no, or is it free? No, it's free. It's free in the city. We've been doing it um, for a lot more kids over, over the last three years. Since the pandemic. Mm-hmm, since the pandemic. And it, it, it is pretty successful. Um, what we needed to do, though, what I've been working with board member Mitchell on, and we have the first read on this policy coming up on November 6th, is a board literacy policy that outlines the types of methods and materials that are permissible, you know, for, or, or actually that are the right of all children in Atlanta public schools to receive in order to be able to get them to read, to be able to decode words, you know, to have a rich vocabulary. Um, we know how to do that. Um, it's just a matter of will and focusing on it and devoting the resources to it. So literacy is one of my main focuses. Another one that I do want to focus on and that I ran on last time is the attendance policy, because even before COVID, we had a very high percentage of students who were chronically absent. Even before COVID, we had some high schools that had half of their student body chronically absent, meaning they're missing Mm -hmm. more than 10% of the school year. Um, And when you have a problem that's that large, it really is a four-alarm fire, because you have to figure out why they're not there. Right. And we can't just assume that students are disengaged. Some of them are, but you can't assume that or assume that the parents don't care um, what we have to do because we know that some kids have to take care of younger siblings. Some kids have to work to support the household. Some kids have health issues, food insecurity, housing instability. We have to use absences as a flag that would t- you know, trigger a tiered series of interventions to identify the barriers and figure out how to remove them. So right now our policy on the books just makes us send home a vaguely threatening letter that says, you know, you're required by law to send your kids to school and you're not doing that. I mean, I've gotten that letter, and I don't find it particularly motivating. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do have an opportunity to use policy to put um, systems in place to try to identify and remove barriers to attendance. So if a teacher notices that my child is not in school at the frequency that they should be, right? Which is, you know, Monday through Friday every day. At what point 
does the teacher, the counselor, the principal intervene and say, hey, we need to check in with this family and, and this and this student? Well, there are school-to-school protocols for that. Um, usually after an absence or two, you know, if there's no word from the family about what's going on, the teacher does make a call. Um, after so many absences, the social worker, you know, could make a visit. It's not systematic enough in my mind. You know, I, being an architect and urban planner, I like processes structure. and systems <laughs> and structure. Um, and I do think with data, you know, with the technology that we have, and we certainly have enough resources in the central office that those kind of things could be flagged automatically and that we could have um, an intervention team that could start coming in. They do this in Fulton County. Fulton County changed their um, attendance policy and then their regulations of how they were going to approach it to do exactly what I'm talking about, which is make it uh, a fact-finding mission, you know, and a support mission rather mm-hmm. than a policing of truancy, which is what we try, you know, that's the way we tend to view it as truancy, when what it really is is a, a symptom of some need that's not being met. So how do you as a board member... Help us understand what's the role of the board. So you've mentioned you're on a policy committee. Is the primary role of the board to enact policies? What's the, what would you say are like the, here are the three things a board member is supposed to do? Policy is one of them. Uh, We're in charge of hiring, uh, evaluating, and supporting a superintendent. And firing. Uh, Yes. Yes. Um, So that's our main, that's the only person that we hire. Um, mm-hmm. That's our only employee. Um, the other thing we're in charge of is um, approving a budget and setting the budget parameters. Um, and so that's another thing that I've been focused on since being on the board um, is trying to make sure that we have more of a role in the budget so that we can prove that it's going towards our goals and our, our guardrails and that it's achieving outcomes for kids. But the other thing that we do as a board is to represent the values and the will of the collective community. Um, And so, you know, it's one thing to know, you know, the what's. So that's our what as far as a board is concerned. What matters is how. Like, how do you do that? You know, how do you write policy? How do you evaluate the superintendent? How do you function as a board? Like, what are our protocols for working with each other? Which is something we're working on. I'm also on the board development committee, and we're working on, you know, reviewing our protocols and our expectations for how we conduct business amongst ourselves so that we're effective and that we can support a superintendent. Um, so, the, you know, that piece of it, and then um, again, the budget, like setting budget processes so that we can make sure we do that. And, you know, having that evaluation tool that, you know, is not a bludgeon, you know, but a, a flashlight, you know, so that we can figure out, all right, what's, what can we, what can we change? What can we tweak? Um, and, and try to do it that way. The other piece about representing the collective will of, you know, the, the community is making sure that we are accessible as a board and that we have, you know, regular predictable interface opportunities. Um, in the past, it has been very often each board member kind of chooses how they want to interact with with constituents. And um, I feel like that frequently leaves some people out. And if we do things that are a little more predictable, like the regional meetings that we're starting to have now, um, 
will have a better chance of interfacing with more people and they will feel more part of the process. How you're running for at large, but there are also district seats. So how does an at large uh, school board member work with or collaborate with a district board member? We do rely on our district reps to have a more detailed knowledge of the issues that are going on in, in their district. But as an at-large board rep, one of the things I try to do, and I think it's a very effective thing to do, is to attend all of the cluster advisory team meetings for all the different clusters in the system. Because that's a way you've got all the different schools in the cluster that are represented at that body, and they talk through the issues that they're going through and how they're trying to address them. Um, I find that a really good way to keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on. I would like for those meetings in that body to be much more inclusive and a bigger forum for the community. Um, that is a great way, you know, for an at-large member to keep, you know, the entire district in mind. And have you all ever considered having meetings in the evening instead of during the day? Yes, so we do. And so these uh, regional meetings that we're having, the first one's coming up on November 2nd. It is going to be at 6 o'clock or 6.30 um, in the evening over at TAG. Um, so at a school in the evening. So we'll just shake things up, right? Mm -hmm. So some of the board reps have um, morning coffees that they do on Zoom. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to vary it, but always make it so that you can set your calendar for it so that you know to show up to attend to it. Just make it predictable so that people understand. Yeah. Um, let's take a step back to understand kind of how you approach your current work, right? And how you would approach it going forward. So what is your motivating factor, would you say? I mean, you could run for state rep, you could run for state senate, you could run for council, you could run for mayor. There's so many options, right? Why school board? And how do you approach your job? I don't have any interest in politics. Um, I don't intend to, to run for any other office. Um, I come at this solely to do this work. And my approach comes from the experience that I've had in the system. So this is my 17th year as an APS mom. And I have served on those governing bodies all that time, you know, the GO teams, what was before that, it was local school councils, PTAs, PTOs, the cluster advisory team, the SPLOS Oversight Committee, the District Executive Committee, the Excellent, you know, you see where I'm going. Mm -hmm. So one of the most um, rewarding things that happened to me during that experience was those district-wide committees that I served on, because you get to work with people all across the city with all the different clusters, and you get to share perspectives, you know, take perspectives and and work together. And we all realized, you know, as we were becoming friends and um, uh, colleagues, that we needed a lot more of that, a lot more of people from different clusters, different parts of the city working together on a regular basis, and that that is what unites the city, and that is where we're going to get that kind of momentum to have the entire district take off. And so that's the reason I ran for a citywide um, school board seat. I knew I had something to bring, to offer, based on all my years under the hood of APS, um, and the things that have remained wrong, even though all the superintendents have changed. Um, I felt like I could bring that and that I could bring that um, sort of system-wide uh, view or um, hope for all of us to 
collaborate together because I feel like the district has been divided for a, a way too long. So that brings me to another question of what would you say is most broken in APS? Ooh, one thing. Um, Ideally. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God, I can't pick one. Um, I mean, one immediate thing that has been broken for a long time is communication. Um, and, you know, as a, a, a result of that, trust. Um, and is that internal or to the public? What do you mean by that? Internal in terms of um, stakeholders' relationship with the organization. So stakeholders being teachers, parents, students, um, community members. Um, it's that communication and collaboration that we say we're striving toward because it's been part of our mission statement since, what, 2015? That's been hard to achieve, and we're not going to build the trust until we get to that collaboration and working together, because that is what fosters the trust, is making sure that people are part of the process, that they have felt heard, um, and that we're not just checking a box or doing another survey. Um, and part of that's going to involve giving the bodies, that, like the GO teams, like the, the CATS, a formal advisory role the way that local school councils are required by state to be um, so that they know, like the NPU system here in the city, that the city's going to consult the NPU with certain matters and they're going to give their, mm -hmm. um, their opinion. Right. Council doesn't always take it, right. you know, but it is a good system that Maynard Jackson put into place a long time ago that people study in city planning, schools of city planning all across the country. It's a model and our city knows it. And I think that our school system has to have the same type of respect for the stakeholders that the city has for its neighborhoods. So is that something within the purview of the superintendent or the board? Both. So right now in board policy, we have a policy for school governance teams for the GO teams. It's just a couple sentences. We can make it say that they serve an advisory role. We can make the cluster advisory teams also one of those bodies by policy and say that they serve an advisory role. Now, actually, how the detail of how that's carried out is left to the superintendent. But setting that expectation that we expect these bodies to be involved in decision-making and not just leaving it up to um, anybody how they, you know, want to go about it uh, is important. And I think it's important to establish hiring a new superintendent, too, someone who's not afraid of that. I've talked to superintendents in the past about trying to do just this, and the reaction I get was, I, I just don't want the noise. Um, you know, it's, I think there was fear involved in, you know, about potentially losing control. You won't lose control, and that noise is going to come out no matter what. You know, if you don't hear them out, they're going to show up at that board meeting for their two-minute comment and holler at you, and that's never productive. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the barriers to people understanding what the role of the school board is and why it should be something that people really pay attention to? Some of it is that the, it's just we don't do a God, good job of telling them what the role of the board is versus the role of the superintendent. And most people conflate the two um, and they think that, you know, the things that the superintendent is doing are things that the board told them to do. And so I think 
being a little bit more clear about what the tools we have are and what tools we don't have, you know, because we can't, we get people calling us about, you know, so-and-so teachers. Like we, we don't, we don't have, we don't deal with that issue. That's an administrative issue. Um, but that, you know, it is at that policy level, at that um, superintendent evaluation level, at mm-hmm. the engaging with the community level. Those are the, are the roles that we have. And I think we could do a better job of letting people know. Got it. Um, in your two years, I'm sure you have seen and heard and dealt with a lot. Is there something that uh, uh, maybe a vote you'd taken or a policy that you thought was the right move that you, in hindsight, was like, mm, maybe we should have not done X or maybe I shouldn't have voted this way? I really try to take all my votes very seriously. I, I, they're all very well researched. Um, the one that I keep getting hit on lately, and I don't know that I would do it again differently, is I get criticized for voting against the budget this past go-round. And it's spun that I, you know, voted. Were you the only? No, there were two. Two. So it was spun that I was voting against teacher raises. I was very much in support of teacher raises. It's just that that was the first budget that I was able to be part of the entire budget process. And at the beginning... We kept telling them that we needed more money going into the schools because the teachers, in addition to having, you know, a well-paid salary. And them as the. The budget, the the budget, the budget commission, the the CFO, you know, the people in the administration that we needed to see more money directly tied to our goals, our literacy outcomes, you know, our culture and climate efforts so that we didn't have fear and intimidation and, um, also resourcing the schools, making sure that, you know, not only does the teacher have a better salary, but they have the resources in the building that they tell us they have to go do GoFundMes for. Mm-hmm. Um, so they need materials, they need choices to be made. And when the budget finally came to us and the general administration budget had climbed far more rapidly than the instructional budget, which is what included the teacher raises, I couldn't, I couldn't vote for it because I had been asking the entire time for them to shift it the other way. Um, and we have to do a better job. So I don't know that I would have voted for the budget because I really needed to make that statement. Um, but you know, the naive politician or non-politician that I am didn't think about, you know, Oh, somebody's going to spin that is that you didn't, want teacher raises. Mm -hmm. Just as we start to wrap up, what, um, what do you think is at stake in this election? Really establishing some longevity, you know, in our structure, our systems, our processes, and setting up a superintendent for success and um, a longer term stay here with us in Atlanta Public Schools. Atlanta is poised right now to really do some great things. We've got people now talking to each other all across the city. Um, we don't have nearly the kind of divide that we used to in terms of, you know, people thinking things about other parts of the city. Everybody seems to be wanting to pitch in. Everybody seems to want the best. Everybody wants equity. Everybody wants kids to get what they need to be successful, to live lives of self-determination. 
And we need some people on the board that have experience to allow that to happen, to onboard a new superintendent, set them up for success, but also leave structures behind that will outlive them. And that is why I ran. That's why I served. That's why I want to do another term, you know, to try to set that up because, you know, politicians come and go, um, but it's what we build and leave behind that we can hand the keys over to the people who come after us that's going to be the lasting legacy. And I think we can do that here in APS. Okay. I think that's a great way to end. Um, what we would love for you to do, if you can just look in this camera and say your name, what seat you're running for, and then, you know, here's where to find me or here's why to vote for me, just kind of that last little yep. direct pitch. Yep. Tamara Jones. I am the currently the um, at-large seat seven Board of Education uh, representative. This is a citywide seat um, seeking re-election for a full four-year term. Um, you can find me at uh, www.tamara4aboe, that's F-O-R-A-B-O-E-7.com. That's my website where you can find out more about my positions, my stances, my background, my involvement with APS. Um, it is really critical that we have people on this board that have the background knowledge of this particular school system and know how we got here and have the experience as a board member and are committed to doing this and, um, you know, are in it for the right reasons um, so that it, we serve the children and not our own ambitions. Thank you.